ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Buffalo Hockey Central Podcast. Let's go, Buffalo. Paul dogs into the Islanders zone. Tanner Hall takes a three defender score. Tanner Hall with a blistering shot. Now back to Stone. Scores! 1,000 career points for Eric Stone. But it's tipped over to Eichel again. He'll bring it right back in. Eichel, let him go on the back. Got it in front of the score. And here's John and Craig. I have a beard and it's, it's brown and it looks like a normal person my age, but my head looks like the top of a Q-tip. So it's a real nice juxtaposition. People look at me and they're like, I don't know if you're 100 or 25. And it's like, that's exactly right. Or both. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, like I fell off a charm bracelet. That's exactly right. <laughs> Right off of the charm bracelet. Oh, man. <laughs> Love it. Um, all right. I don't know how much better my preparation is going to get. So we well, might I'm not just, worried about it. We, we may as well just dive right into it. Sure. Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for the very first episode of Season 2 now, I know what all the longtime listeners are thinking right now. Season two, you guys haven't even been recording for a whole year. Okay, I, you know what? It, it doesn't matter. The off season, we wanted it to be season one. It feels like a good time to switch to season two. The season's starting. And I've got Craig with me again. Craig, how's it going? And normally, when you talk about seasons of shows, normally there's a there's a market improvement between season one and season two. But the fact that I'm still here guarantees that doesn't happen. So well done on your part. Well, you know, I, I feel like our listeners might say otherwise, but, you know, we, we've, we, we still got you around regardless. Uh, so why don't we uh, why don't we look forward to our new beginning here with the 2020 is it still technically the 2020-2021 season or would they, it's just the 2021 season, right? We we can say we can call it whatever we want. I mean, it really doesn't seem to matter. I I, I it's interesting you you bring that up. I've actually never really thought about, you know, normally with hockey seasons you've got the two years interspersed, but yeah, this year I guess you really could just say 2021. Yeah, I it's all right, we'll go with that. The 2021 NHL season and it is coming up. We are recording Monday night, uh, we've got the NHL kicking off their league this Wednesday night. And the Sabres, not that long after, we will be playing Thursday night versus the Capitals. Um, why don't Why don't we just, uh, yeah, let, let's take a look at the Capitals uh, matchup we've got. Now, I believe it's a doubleheader. Yep, back-to-back, both home games, Thursday, Friday at 7 p.m., um, so Craig, I mean, what should we be expecting? We don't need to really get into the lines quite yet, but like, what should we be expecting from, you know, the first game of the season for the Sabres and Capitals? I mean, the Capitals, um, they were in the, the play in rounds. They were in the playoffs last year. I mean, they did not have the extra time uh, during training camp, like the Sabres did. 
when we talked that that might be a factor that, you know, plays into the early season. So Craig, what might we be looking out for, for this matchup coming up Thursday? What I think is interesting is the dynamics of this whole year have really changed, obviously, before the season's even started. You know, you talk about hockey players, especially hockey players at the highest professional level. These guys are real superstitious, and they're real creatures of habit. And the way they prepare their bodies for a full season, the off-season, how they go about their business away from the ice is really a pretty prescribed uh, step-by-step procedure for these guys. And of course, now that's been all thrown out the window because here we are in January and they haven't played any meaningful hockey yet. So, you know, what's, what's really interesting is I think the point you make about the extra training camp for the teams that didn't make the playoffs and play in round last year, I think is going to be a real deciding factor here because, you know, the Sabres, for example, have been in this training camp now for quite some time, have had a little bit more of an opportunity to get their legs under them, especially the veterans. And I think that's something that might be kind of overlooked at the early stages of the season where these teams that didn't make the playoffs might have a slight edge over the postseason teams just because they've physically been on the ice together for a little bit longer than the other teams have. Something else to keep an eye on, too. I was thinking about this today, and I understand that it's only, I believe, a 56-game season. Um, But, you know, what's interesting about this schedule is that because it is so condensed and you are playing these two- and three-game sets night after night with maybe a night in between. I think the Sabres play their first 10 games in 19 days or something. Um, I was thinking about, you know, the the beginning of the season could be marked by these teams that have a little extra training camp just to get a little bit of a faster start. But I think the end of the season could be really interesting too because you've got guys that are playing all these games in this truncated schedule. That's going to be really tough on conditioning. And I think these older veterans might have a tougher time as the season progresses. Washington is actually the oldest team in the league by quite a bit. They're actually uh, almost two years older in average age than the number two oldest team in the league, the New York Islanders. The average age for the for a Capitals player is almost 31. So, you know, these guys, not to say that, I mean, they're professional athletes. They're at the top of their conditioning. But not to say that, you know, there could be some residual effect to that as the season progresses. So I'm really interested to see the dynamics of the beginning and the end of the season to see how those things shake out and if the younger teams have any kind of advantage like that. And I think the taxi squad, that whole thing, which we'll talk about later, is going to be really interesting in the in, in, in the scheming and the managing of these rosters going forward. But I think, you know, look for the Sabres to try to get out to a fast start because, I mean, a short season – You need to accumulate points as quickly as you can. And for Buffalo, especially because the division they have, that Eastern or Mass Mutual division, whatever you want to call it, uh, is is murderer's row. It's a horrendously difficult division, and they're going to have to log points in a hurry, I think. Yeah, for sure. It's very crucial, especially this year, to get off to that hot start, Uh, get toward the top of the rankings, the standings with your points, and I mean, if you if you see a team that you know starts out like I don't know two five and whatever three in their first ten games, I mean you're gonna fall behind. You're you're not gonna be out of it quite yet, but you're not in a good position. The season's gonna feel like it's flying by, especially with the pace of games. You know, almost every other night. So yeah, it's definitely gonna be pretty crazy. 
Um, I think it'll be very different for a lot of fans and the players for sure. I, you know, it's going to be really, I'm curious to know, like, is it going to be, you know, you probably won't see like the older vets, but like the vets, the five or seven year vets, are they going to be ready to go every single night? Uh, you know, are the younger players going to be ready to go? I mean, it's more of a junior schedule than it is like a regular NHL season schedule. So maybe that helps the younger guys. I'm not sure. Um, so yeah, it'll be really, really interesting to see, you know, how the season progresses, who starts out hot, who slows down or, or who gains speed, you know, as the season progresses, I'm really excited. Um, as far as, as far as opening night lineup, Craig, I'm kind of throwing a curveball at you, but let's talk about the starting lineup because I feel like a lot of fans have had plenty of different line combinations uh, throughout the entire offseason and even into training camp, even as we speak now. Um, and who knows if any of them got it right. And we probably won't either, uh, even though I think we have a better idea after seeing, you know, the lines Ralph Kruger's throwing together. Um, so why don't we dive into that? Uh, let's start with the top line, Craig. Do you want to start? Well, John, you know, anytime you throw me a curveball, I do my very best to swing and miss. So here we go. Um, basically, you know, and, and and I'll preface this by saying I put together some line combinations that I think are more likely based on Ralph Kruger's decisions in training camp, not necessarily what I would do were I the coach. So this is more of a guessing game in terms of being in the mind of Ralph Kruger, uh, even though I might disagree on a personal level. Um, so I guess, do you just want me to go through the whole lineup or do you want to go line by line? Uh, yeah, let's do line by line. All right, sounds good. So I think the first line is pretty cut and dry by this point. Um, by, by this point in training camp, it looks like Hall, Eichel, and Tage Thompson, interestingly enough, has played his way onto that first line right wing side. And I think that's interesting to note because, you know, th there's a couple schools of thought on Tage Thompson. People still look at him as the scapegoat for the Ryan O'Reilly trade, which of course is unfair to him, even though he was, you would say, one of the two probably major pieces in the trade, along with that first round pick that became Ryan Johnson. Um, but Tage Thompson's been a real interesting project all throughout because, you know, you talk about a guy with his size and his skill. It's a weird combination because you don't ha have a lot of guys in the league that are as big as he is, but is also more of a skilled player. And so for him to figure it out at the professional level may have taken some time. And it has seemed like as time has progressed, he's made those strides, perhaps in inches as opposed to feet. But he seems to be making those strides. And this training camp, coming off of that shoulder injury that limited him to virtually no time last year, in Buffalo specifically, um, it really seems like he may have turned the corner and may be ready to be a contributor in that top six. So, And the other thing I think that's interesting about Tage Thompson is the skill that he brings and how that could potentially mesh with Jack Eichel and Taylor Hall. We know Hall and Eichel are going to have great chemistry, mainly because they're fantastic offensive players and veterans of the game who know how to adjust and adapt to one another. I think they're going to be outstanding. Tage Thompson brings a different dynamicism to that line. And I wonder, you know, with his skill, 
you know, he, he he's going to be able to get into those places because he's a great shooter. We know that he's got a just a just a fantastic shot. And, you know, with Hall and Eichel with him, who are very much puck possessors and, and play drivers, they might be able to find him in those prime shooting positions. I think it's an interesting mix that could work. Your thoughts? Yeah, I really like Tage Thompson getting a look on the right wing with Hall and Eichel. And I think I, I want to say that I, I said Thompson could get a look in the top six. And so I'm, I'm happy to see that he is. And it sounds like he's just showed up to camp in absolutely great shape. Uh, obviously, you have to earn it in this system. Uh, it's not about how much money you make, because clearly that will get you to the fourth line if you ask Jeff Skinner. But we don't need to talk about that quite yet. Uh, Tage Thompson, on the other hand, I'm so excited to see what he can do. He is huge. He's 6'5". I don't have his, his stats up, but he's like 6'5". He's, I think he's over 220 maybe. He's a big boy, and he's so fast too. He honestly might be I'm, – I'm going over this lineup. Man, other than maybe Dylan Cousins, Thompson might be – and obviously Hall and Eichel. Thompson might be the fastest forward on this team. And so to see the three of the fastest four skaters on our entire roster on the same line, and not to mention the amount of skill on that line, it's very exciting. And and to your point, you know, Hall and Eichel, they will be possessing the puck much more than Tage Thompson will be expected to. And that's a good thing, right? Because Tage Thompson, yeah, he's got some nice hands, but it's not really where his strength is. It's his size his skating and his shot. Okay. So, you know, if you can take the pressure of puck handling off of Tage Thompson, leave it to Eichel and Hall, who are two of the game's greatest at it, and just let Thompson get to those open areas. I mean, look, there's going to be open areas for him too, because if you're not doubling Eichel, who has the puck, you're probably doubling Hall, because if you play 1v1 them, they're going to manhandle you. So, I mean, this line just screams offense to me and just speed, and it, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I hope they really mesh all three of them together, and that's a line that you know we could see for a long, long time. And I think, jo- I think, John, an interesting point to this line that I, I just kind of was thinking about is this line is actually a pretty high compliment to Jack Eichel. And the reason I say that is not because he's playing with Taylor Hall. That obviously, of course, is a compliment. But having Tage Thompson is a compliment to his game as well. This is what I mean by that. Because Jack Eichel, in years previous, you you really couldn't put him with just purely offensive players because you worried about the defense on that line. But Jack Eichel's become good enough in his own end that he can hold his end of the bargain on defense. And you can pair him with purely offensive players because he takes enough care of the defensive zone now that he didn't earlier in his career. I think it really speaks to Coach Kruger's confidence in Eichel's 200-foot game that he's that he's putting this line together, even though you're not talking about any Selkie winners here. You're talking about, you know, but Jack Eichel's good enough that he can he, he can carry that line defensively from the forward position. I think that's a, a big compliment to Jack Eichel, too. Yeah, very much so. And you're right. It definitely speaks on Ralph Kruger's confidence in his captain. And Eichel obviously knows that. So that's great to see. Uh, on to the second line. 
things are starting to get a little bit interesting. Um, I mean, obviously we've got Eric Stahl at center. I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. Um, the wings, they were definitely up for grabs. I think we, you know, you could have thrown a couple different names there. Um, but we're starting to see Victor Olison um, on the left wing and then Sam Reinhardt on the right wing on that line. Um, Craig, what are your thoughts on this line? Because I, you know, I, I kind of like it. So right away, I, I must say that it's interesting because that was the line that I had, Olison Stahl and Reinhardt. And um, I like it a lot. And I like it a lot for a whole lot of reasons because there's a little bit of everything on that line. I mean, really, I think that might be the most balanced line that the Sabres will roll out this year. I understand Hall, Eichel, and Thompson, but, you know, there, there's more, and you alluded to this earlier, there's more of a heavy uh, emphasis on offense with that line. This line has the ability to kind of do a little bit of everything because you've got two defensively responsible players in Reinhardt and Stahl. Not to say they're the greatest in their own end. I know Stahl in his older days is more heady than he is heavy um, in, mm. the de- in the defensive zone where, you know, he's, a, he's an incredibly smart player, knows how to play in the defensive zone, um, just may not be as physically rigorous as he once was. Uh, but that doesn't mean he can't get the job done. Reinhardt, we know, is a 200-foot player. That's been established since day one. But the thing I like about that is that they're both high IQ guys. They both have – they seem to have a chemistry together based on what we're hearing out of training camp. So that seems to be a nice little mix. But they're both high-end enough offensive players that expecting them to chip in is a given. They're that – I mean, they're that good in all three zones. Then you throw in Victor Olison, who we know defensively, okay, he, he lacks a little bit there. Getting better, of course. Um, but we all know what Victor Olison's MO is. We know that if he has open space and you find him, the red light's coming on. And I don't know, aside of Jack Eichel, I don't know if you could pick two uh, better players for that role in the finding of somebody in the offensive zone and the ability to create space for that person than Eric Stahl and Sam Reinhardt. I think that is a perfect combination and really, really gives the Sabres a nice balance and also gives them a nice advantage because they're not going to be playing the opposing team's top defensive pairings as Eichel Hall and Thompson would be in this example. So I think you've got a real possibility here for a line, because we know how it is in hockey, how these lines change all the time, and not just for injuries, but for random things, performance-based indeed. So I think this might be a line that could potentially stay together for a, a, a nice clip of the season. And to boot, and the thing I like about it also is you got Reinhardt away from Eichel. I know they have great chemistry, but I really think the Sabres need to find more chemistry throughout a greater portion of their lineup than just laying on that top three unit as much as they have in the past. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I wanted to ask you, before we go, get into the bottom six, or the next two lines, as Ralph Kruger would want me to say it, um, you know, can we see this Olsen stahl Reinhardt line be essentially a 1B line? Because... On paper, I mean, this is a pretty good first – like, if, if that was your first line, I would feel all right about it. I mean, obviously, you'd want Hall, Eichel, and Thompson, but, like, 
Olsen, Stahl, and Reinhardt is a pretty dang good line. I would I would go as far as to say that's a 1B for us. Oh, I, and, absolutely, I absolutely agree, 100%. Yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right on it. And I think, you know, I agree with what you said. Like, I think we definitely will be able to rely on that line for offense consistently. And when's the last time we've been able to say that about a second line? And that's the reason for me as to why if the Sabres are going to have any chance to make some noise in this really difficult division, it's going to have to be because the middle of this lineup is better than expected. And, and quite frankly, you know, the Sabres teams in the past have been trying to fit square pegs in round holes. Billy Leno, Marcus Johansson of more recent times trying to say, okay, this guy maybe played this position 10 years ago. So he'll be good at it when you put him with these guys. And of course that doesn't work at this level very often anyway, but you're talking about established players. I know Olafson, not as much, but you're talking about that two thirds. And I know Kruger likes to look at things in terms of twos, in terms of pairs, and then add the third in there. And if you look at Stahl and Reinhardt as a pair, I don't care where you put that in any lineup. That's at least formidable, especially when you're not putting it on a first-line basis, as it were, in terms of ice time, but you're able to roll it out in matchup scenarios that more favor Buffalo. Uh, I think that's a uh, – to me, this line is the difference between pushing for the playoffs and languishing at the bottom. Mm, I like that. I agree. I really do. This is going to be a huge line for us. You know, Hall, Eichel, and Thompson, we don't need to talk about the potential because it's as high as any line in the league. Uh, but Olsen, Stahl, and Reinhardt, look, if we can get at least a goal from them every night, I mean, that's going to go a long way. It really will. Absolutely. I mean, we haven't had a second line that's been able to do that for us consistently. And you look at all the best teams in the league, you know, they have a great top line. But their second line is almost just as good. And now it's, you know, we kind of have a scenario that what it is for us, too. So it's so great to see that. I really like, you know, bringing Thompson, a guy who people might not have thought he could play a role in the top six this year. And so he bumps, you know, another top six guy down the lineup, which is great to see. Um, So let's keep rolling down. We've got our third line. Um, or the Eakin line. And Craig, do you want to go for it? Yeah, and this line is interesting because I firmly believe that Zemgis Giergensen's would have probably been here uh, if not for the hamstring injury that he uh, sustained at training camp, which is going to keep him out for the year. Um, so this line is really interesting to me for a couple different reasons. It looks like it's going to be Tobias Reeder on the left, Cody Eakin in the middle, and Kyle Pozo on the right. Some, some interesting things about this line, uh, it, the reports out of training camp is that Cody Eakin and Kyle Pozo have actually developed a nice little chemistry together. So I think that might be the pairing that Ralph Kruger starts with. Uh, and then you have Tobias Reeder, who coming into this season, you know, we've known him in the past when he played for Calgary and, and for the Coyotes. We've known him to be a penalty killer. He's a defensive forward. There's no question about that. Uh, He scored two goals in the scrimmage on Saturday. So, you know, you're talking about a guy who, I mean, he does, I know that's obviously a very limited thing, but if you think about, you know, uh, a veteran like him, if you can get any kind of offense, because all three of these guys 
have the ability to chip in offense. I don't think you can expect, you know, a lot of goal production from them. That's not really going to be their role. But I think what you can expect out of them, all three guys are veterans of the league. They know how to play defensive hockey from the forward position. Uh, Reader is pretty fleet of foot. Eakin is pretty good as well. Kyle Pozo, we know, is not all that fleet of foot anymore. But he is heady. He knows how to play the game on the defensive side. So I think if this line can find any kind of chemistry, that's really going to go a long way for the Sabres because none of these three guys anymore are offensive specialists by any stretch of the imagination. It's it, They've got to find the balance to have three guys they can put out in a tight game. I know Eichel has been that guy as well, and Taylor Hall probably will come out too. But, you know, to have – and I'm not – I'm going to stop short of calling them a shutdown trio because I don't think the Sabres have a shutdown trio. But I, what I would be happy with is an incredibly responsible trio, one that you can, you can trot out there and, and they'll limit the opposing team's chances. I mean, they're not going to eliminate it, right? I mean, we're not talking – again, we're not talking about Sean Couturier here or some of the best defensive forwards in the game. But if they can limit – and be defensively responsible, again, just like that second line's offensive production, it's the same idea for this line with defensive production. If they can do that, I mean, it's going to go a huge way because there are some heavy hitters in this mass mutual division that the Sabres are going to be dealing with. Yeah, for sure. And this is kind of the line, and it really does think that Gergensen's got hurt because, you know, him and Oposo obviously had good chemistry, and you know, this team is going to be better than years past. So it, I think Gergensen's would have, you know, he would have looked good this year. And he's that kind of guy that you want, you know, maybe not your shutdown line, but a line that, like you said, is defensively responsible. Um, so I I feel bad for Gergensen's. Wish he didn't get hurt. Uh, but Toby Reeder, he's going to get that chance to fill in there. And I think he's going to do a pretty serviceable job. Um like you said, they're all very defensively responsible. I think this is kind of your uh, log line 2.0. Um, so, you know, you're going to be able to play this line in key defensive minutes, and I think that uh, that will definitely help. And, and that's also a line that's like, okay, that looks like a good playoff line. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Not like not like points-wise, but they play – you know, they're, they're going to be able to play playoff hockey. And what I mean by that is they're going to be able to, you know, play hard. They're a durable line. Um, they're very defensively responsible, and they will put up points. I mean, we saw Oposo at times last year. He, he looked good. Um, so I'm excited for that line. I think it might even do more than what it's expected from in an offensive way as well. So I like it. Um not sure about the fourth line, though, quite yet, Craig. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of fans oh, have, let's just leave it at opinions about this fourth line as of now and what they would want it to look like as opposed to what it looks like right now. But we've got, uh, we've got Curtis Lazar, it, it seems, right? Like he's going to mm-hmm. be the fourth line center. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got some players rotating in and out. I think uh, Riley Sheehan had the last chance on right wing, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then on the left wing, we've got our buddy Jeff Skinner playing in his usual fourth line role. You know, really good spot for him. Mm-hmm. 
I think he's probably going to put up career numbers, to be honest with you, Craig. Throw him out there eight or or ten minutes a game with Curtis Lazar and Riley Sheehan. Yeah, yeah. If he scores every single time he touches the puck, he might get to 30 goals. Yeah, he he just might. Um, No, but, I mean, I'm going to start real quick here. You know, Jeff Skinner, I, as well as every other Sabres fan, has got to be just hoping and begging that he is able to be, you know, please be more productive than last year. (laughs) Please. At least the pace. Like, I know the numbers are going to be weird, but Jeff Skinner, you got to rebound this year, buddy. You really do. Like, that big deal, I, you know, we could be all right with it if you rebound here, but Oh, getting relegated to the quote-unquote fourth line in training camp, it doesn't really bode well with the rest of Sabres fans. And I know that's not necessarily your fault, but it's just it's frustrating. So I know I speak for a lot of fans when I see Skinner on the fourth line, and just it's disappointing, to say the least. Uh, Curtis Lazar, I like him. I like him as a fourth-line center. I thought, you know, I think we talked about it after he re-signed that that might be the role for him this year, or or if it wasn't a wing, if Gergensen's had been the center. But Curtis Lazar's a good fourth-line guy. I like him. He's got good energy, and last year he got a chance to play in this lineup, and he did some good things. Um, another defensive guy who can you can play on the PK as well. Uh, Riley Sheehan, I said it last time, I'm not really big on this guy. Um, Craig, I... You know, if you want to talk about him, you can. I would much rather see Dylan Cousins on that right wing. And here's here's exactly why. Because we've got, like I said, our defensive center and Curtis Lazar and Jeff Skinner, who they played together last year a little bit, and they played well together. They produced well. So there's some offense already between the Skinner and Lazar combination. And you put a guy like Dylan Cousins who, you know, Skinner's still a great player, but Cousins might – he might be the best player on that line if he were to be on the right wing. And is if that's your fourth line, I mean, that's I mean, you're going to play that against the other team's worst players? Yeah, sign me up. How the heck are they going to keep up with them? You know what I mean? So I would much rather see Cousins on that line. We might. It might be a matter of time. They might be waiting a couple games. Who knows? So Riley Sheehan, whatever, you're fine there. I hope you do well if you start a few games, but you better hit the road soon because I want to see Dylan Cousins in this lineup very, very soon. Uh, so I know earlier in the episode you talked about this being season two, and we, we promised it would be just a clown show. Uh, and But what I'm really impressed with is here in season two, you and I right off the bat are on the exact same page. In fact, when I typed up my lineup, I didn't put Riley Shan in here at all. I, I have him on the taxi squad. I have him in on a rotational basis because I really think Dylan Cousins is going to start the year on the starting roster for the Sabres in that fourth-line role. I know Riley Shan's played a little bit in there in training camp, and I know he's gotten a lot of the repetitions, and he is a defensive player, and that that's his M.O., and he's a very good one at that. Uh, and if they're really going to hang on him for a, for a penalty killer – Um, you'll probably see him more often maybe than you'd want. Because to be very honest, he doesn't have a whole lot of offensive game to him at the NHL level. If you have that trio with Skinner and Lazar, 
I mean, Jeff Skinner is a $9 million waste of time, and it's really not Jeff Skinner's fault in that case. And you can't really blame him for being that because, because when you're on the fourth line in that situation, you're not being put into a position to succeed. And that is not fair to Jeff Skinner. Now, I here's the other side of that argument is you have to wonder, why is he down on the quote-unquote fourth line? Uh, you know, the, the rumbling is, you know, the guy is tough to coach. And the rumblings are that, you know, that, that Coach Kruger wants more of a defensive, you know, again, the 200-foot player, and Jeff Skinner's not really buying into that system. It's all speculation, and it's all, you know, they talked about that in Carolina with Rod Brindamore saying similar things. So where there's smoke, there's fire. I mean, there's definitely an issue between, there's a rift between coach and player. Now, the question is, where, it, where does that rift really originate? Who knows? But what's very encouraging is if you do put Dylan Cousins on that right wing, and I'm going to pretend just for the sake of this discussion, that's, that's where they're going to put him. Because it does him no good. Uh, his development by not playing games. And if you're going to keep him in Buffalo, which it kind of seems like they are, he needs to be on the ice right away. And here's the thing about that line. If we if we suppose, presuppose Skinner, Lazar, and Cousins as a line, I like that line for a lot of reasons. First of all, Curtis Lazar dropped 18 pounds this offseason. Oh, wow. Apparently looks fleet of foot, his foot speed has improved. He's got, because, you know, you picture Curtis Lazar, and he's that stocky build. You know, he looks like the kind of guy that would play well in the defensive zone. But you drop 18 pounds, and, and, and John, you understand the human body very well, given your line of work. You drop 18 pounds as a professional athlete, I mean, that's going to give you some speed. And, and so, for me, I'm looking at Curtis Lazar, and I'm going, that's a, I mean, that's a guy who's got a renewed effort to doing something. Now, does that help him offensively? I don't know. But you're right. He and Skinner played pretty well together, so there seems like there's a little, a little something there. And if you add Dylan Cousins, the reason I like Dylan Cousins in that spot is because Dylan Cousins with Jeff Skinner and Curtis Lazar has, has two advantages. Firstly, he does not have to be a Selkie winner in the defensive zone. Curtis Lazar generally would handle the heavy lifting in the defensive zone. And you you know as well as I do that wingers are not as defensively responsible. They don't have as many roles in the defensive zone as a center would, for example. So right there, the load is off of him for being a great defensive player. But he also does not have to be the offensive pusher and dynamo in the offensive zone either. Even though Jeff Skinner isn't a driver of possession, we know he thrives with the puck on his stick in the offensive zone. So, so Dylan Cousins has an opportunity to learn the game without the puck. He can learn and uh, learn and develop away from the puck. And honestly, I think for a young player in the NHL, even highly touted and skilled as Dylan Cousins is, to be able to learn the pro game without having to focus on being the driver of offense really could be beneficial to his development. Plus, when you have an elite offensive player like Jeff Skinner, he's going to have the offensive opportunities to go along with that just by being able to figure out where his position is on the ice and figure out where the soft spots are and figure out how he can contribute offensively. I like this line for his development 
though I'm not a huge fan of it for for Jeff Skinner's cause and his $9 million a year contract. But I think it's a unique trio that could do something pretty pretty interesting if you put them together. Yeah, you know, if, if we're just go ahead and we're going to say that Cousins is that fourth line right winger, you know, I would like that spot. And I, I was... I was like number one on saying Dylan Cousins needs to be in the top six. And while I still would like to see that at some point, you know, having him on the bottom line or the bottom six, however you want to say it, having him in the, in the bottom six, he's not going to have that pressure to put up points like the top two lines are. He's going to go against really bottom level NHL competition and with an elite playmaker and shooter like Jeff Skinner and a very defensive Curtis Lazar, I mean, that's a really good scenario for a rookie to come into. There's, there's, I mean, fans are going to have low or high expectations for him, but, you know, overall there has to be low expectations for him as a fourth liner, a quote-unquote fourth liner. But, man, I mean... Talk about a perfect scenario for a young rookie to come into. And other than maybe Victor Olofsson, although he's not even young, he, he was technically a rookie last year, but he's not young at all. I mean, when's the last time we've been able to say this is a great position for our, our rookie to go into? Sam Reinhart? No. he didn't. There was no talent on this team when he was drafted. Eichel? I mean, he he was his line. He always is his line. And middle stat, I mean, Gergensen's, Grigorenko, like you can go down the list. There haven't been good spots for our prospects to be because we just haven't had the talent to force them down the lineup. <laughs> they may have been the, the best talented player on our roster, but they were not ready to play top six minutes. So whether Dylan Cousins is or not, having him play in the bottom six is a really good transition into the NHL. I do think you'll see him uh, make his way up the lineup throughout the season, though. I'll agree. <laughs> wow, we agreed again. That's that's great, Craig. We're really on a roll in season two here. <laughs> I think we, I think we should end it there because I, I think it's all downhill from here. Oh, but Craig, there's a couple more things you see. Oh, One there can't them, be. Oh, but there are. I would be, I would be upset with myself if I didn't, you know, officially say whether or not I thought the Sabers were going to make the playoffs this year. And I think they, I think they will. I said it, and I know it. I probably say it every year, but I don't really care because. I was hyped for the Bills this year. I said Josh Allen was going to have an MVP year. Nobody can argue with that. We are moving on to the divisional round. I'm stoked for the Bills, and I think that energy is going to carry over with the Sabres along with the roster moves that they've made. So whatever, I don't care. I know it's a tough division. I know it's going to be a tough season. I don't care. They're making the playoffs. It is what it is. If I'm wrong, literally nothing happens. So, there. Right. Well, and I'm living proof of that. So, um, <laughs> because that's that's what I do. What do you think, Craig? What do you think? They're gonna Are they going to make it? No. 
No, oh. no, I don't think so at all. No. Oh, uh, and, and, and let no. me. And, well, no, because I, well, I, I, number one, I'm a terrible person, and I'm going to prove it now. And number two, um, if if you find a, a bigger pessimist than me, I'd like to I'd like to see them because, um, it, and it's not even pessimism so much as it is. I'm trying to look at this roster and see where this roster is going to jump some of these teams. Now, I think the only way – let me say it this way. I don't think they make it, and it's not because I don't think they're, they're talented because I think this is the most talented team the Sabres have produced in a long time, to your point before. I agree completely. So I think right there you're talking about a team that could – it's not like a team where you say, well, absolutely not. But they could make a push. But some things are going to have to happen. For example, you know, the Allmark-Hutton combination is going to have to be a little bit better than it's been in the past. I understand Carter Hutton's been better in training camp. Maybe the vision fix was a thing. I don't know. Rasmus Dahlin's going to have to make another jump uh, and be, you know, a lot closer to that number one overall pick status that, that we expect out of him, you know, at, at this point in his career. Obviously, there's got to be some other things going on there, too you know, with ice time and deployment and things like that. But, uh, the, you know, the defense core has to play better than they have. The goaltending has to be more consistent than it's been. And, I mean, I think, you know, we went over the forward lines pretty pretty extensively, and I and I think the forward lines are going to be where this thing, this thing goes. Um, and I, I just look at the division, and, and there are so many really good and complete teams in this division. But that being said, because of the whole schedule differentiation, the the, uh, the condensed nature of the schedule, the uh, the whole two and three game sets part of the schedule, you know, if the Sabers get out to a hot start, which is entirely plausible given all of these uh, other situations, um, you know, that could go a long way into them kind of pushing in to that last playoff spot in the division. So. I think it'll be a really interesting season. I hope they make the playoffs. There's no question about that. I I just have a hard time sitting here right now, just prior to the season, seeing them being able to compete with some of these teams in the division with them over the long haul. Again, not to say they can't, but just not seeing this team yet in action, it's hard to really envision it, given what we've seen over the past few years. Yeah. I can't blame you. I mean, I, I I definitely see where you're coming from, and if you thought that I didn't, you know, think that, then it'd be wrong because obviously that's in the back of every Sabres fan's mind. It's in the front of mine. Oh, I'm sure it is, Craig. <laughs> but but uh, no, you're right. I mean, I think this thing does really lie in the balance of our goaltending and our forwards. And that's why we really went over the forward lines pretty extensively, like you said. Um, you know, Linus Allmark, he's going to be your number one guy, but Hutton is going to have a pretty big load this year because the games are often back-to-back and such a short time, you can't play your starting goalie that often. So, you know, teams that succeed are going to have two good goaltenders, and we need to hope that our two guys really step up and make a difference this year. Um, I can't believe we did fly right past the decor, though. I think we should probably go over it. Eh. <laughs> uh, eh? I mean, I'll just run through it real quick. It's there it's not go. really it's not really much different from what people may have expected. Um, very balanced, in my opinion, but in no order. It's got Jake McCabe and Rasmus Ristolainen. 
Darlene and Montour, Colin Miller, and Yoki Haru. Uh, I mean, I like them. I don't really have a problem with any of them. Uh, yeah, I'm going to stand by that statement for now. I'm sure that could change very quickly, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, I agree. And you know what's funny? Because you say no particular order, but actually, uh, if you if you extrapolate what you, the list you just read into pairs, that's exactly how I would have them as well. Um, the, the thing that concerns me about this defense group, just like it has for many years, is uh, I look at it and go, who's going to defend? Because we, you know, you know, but you know what I mean. Because Darlene, yeah. Darlene obviously is is going to hopefully be that elite defenseman across the board, and and he has shown signs of that. So you know, Darlene's not somebody I worry about. But I look at the other five, and I like them in different ways, right? But none of them really inspire defensive hockey to me. Yoki Haru, to me, I think really is the wild card here. I really like him. And I think I think he's, he's so right, good. Yeah, I think if he's given the right situation and the right deployment and all that, I think he's the kind of guy that really could thrive in this environment. So I like him a lot. I like Colin Miller, too. I know he kind of got into the Jeff Skinner doghouse of Ralph Kruger for whatever reason, but I really like him. I, I think he's got uh, he's got a nice mix of skills as well. Uh, and could do really well with Yoki Haru if they are paired together. Um, and it's interesting because I, I, as individual players in a bubble, I like McCabe and Ristolainen fairly well, but they both have this propensity to do things that make you just want to dump your head in a garbage can because you can't believe you just watched them do that. And at the same time, Within 30 seconds, then you're jumping on the roof with excitement because one of them just laid somebody out, right? It's like like the weirdest juxtaposition of watching defensive hockey. It's like, you know, you're not watching Chris Pronger and Scott Niedermeyer playing here, but at the same time, at any given moment, they could do something to take the top off the place. And, And so it's, you know, it's not the kind of thing you want to be talking about with a defense pair, though. You know, you really don't like rolling the dice here, but... You know, the Sabres are sticking with Ristolainen. I mean, obviously, you know, he's been in trade talks for since Dirt, since Dirt was young. And uh, it, it, and it seems as though, you know, he's, he's going to hang around. And, you know, he and McCabe, I think, would be the most, I don't know, defensive pair. I guess you might call them the most offensive pair, too. But I'm not talking about putting up points, either. Um, but, but I, you know, and I, I look at that and I wonder, you know, how well is that going to work in the long term? I can't see that pair lasting all that long because of all the hand grenades they're going to be tossing up the middle of the ice, um, which they've done in the past. But I don't know, you know, if you split them. What, so this, to me, this defense core is really going to be the wild card here. We talked about some of the forward groups being keys to this team. If this, if this six-man group and, and any other combination of, you know, Will Borgen or uh, Jacob Bryson or any of these guys on the taxi squad or Rochester or whatever, Samuelson, maybe down the road. If any of these guys can really solidify a position in that six man unit, and I know except for Darlene, because we know where he's going to be, that's really going to go a long way. Because if these guys can find and carve out those roles, the defined roles where the coaches can trust them in those defined roles, that's going to be huge for this team moving forward because that's the one area of this team that seems always in flux and you just don't know game to game what kind of performances and what kind of roles you're going to get out of these guys. 
Yeah, for sure. And I'm glad you brought it up. I was going to, uh, but Will Borgen, I would love to see him crack the lineup at some point. And I think he will. I mean, you don't want to see injuries, uh, but they happen. And, you know, players can play themselves out of the lineup as well. So Will Borgen, I would love to see what he could do at the NHL level. Uh, I Obviously, he is your defensive guy. When you, If you were to put him in the lineup, your eyes automatically go to him when you ask who's your, who's your shutdown defenseman, right? So, and we talked about him potentially being a, a long-term partner for Darlene. So, I'm not saying that pairing is going to happen this year, but we'll see. Another guy, too, John, to, take, to keep an eye on is Matt Irwin. Because there's a guy, you talk about, like, like Matt Irwin, to me, is what we hope Will Borgen is in a couple of years. I think Borgen's ceiling's obviously higher than Matt Irwin. But Matt Irwin, that's a defensive defenseman, right? And I could really see when they're playing these teams, you know, like Philadelphia, the Rangers, teams that can score, you know, playing a guy like Matt Irwin to log the hard minutes because he's not going to score at all, but, but he can play the hard minutes in the defensive zone against pretty elite competition. So, you know, keep an eye on him. I think you're going to see a lot more of him than just, uh, you know, putting him on that taxi squad. You know, you think you might only see him for 10 games or so. I could see him getting half to two thirds of the games, uh, depending on how the season rolls out. That's I'm I'm really glad that you brought it up because it kind of gave me an idea. Okay, so Ralph Kruger, he likes he likes his duos, right? He likes everything. He likes his two players to have good chemistry, and then on the on the forward grouping, he'd throw a, a third forward with him. Obviously, on the back end, I wonder if that's what they're doing with the Irwin and Borgen line. I wonder, because they're going to be on the taxi squad if they're not starting opening mm-hmm. night, right? So I wonder if he's like, okay, against really good offensive teams or tougher teams, we can throw out Irwin and Borgen. We can sit Colin Miller and Yoki Haru because we still we have enough offensive production. We don't need, we don't need to rely on Colin Miller and Yoki Haru for offense. Okay, but we can rely on Matt Irwin and Will Borgen for defense against really good teams. So I wonder if, you know, against those matchups, you just swap lines instead of, you know, one individual player. Just it could depend on, you know, what Ralph Kruger, what kind of game strategy he wants to deploy that night. I think one of the interesting quotes coming out of training camp was when Ralph Kruger was talking about this very subject. And he had said that he and Kevin Adams would get together each night before the game and kind of decide where they want to lean because this whole taxi squad thing really gives them the ability and the flexibility to match up however they please. Because yeah, I mean, if you're talking about teams like uh, say New Jersey, for example, you know, New Jersey is not a real heavy offensively gifted team. They have some really good players, but they're not the kind of team. They're more flashy. They're more you know, lateral movement and speed and agility through the offensive zone. That's where Miller and Yoki Haru might be a little more apropos as a defense pair because you want guys with quick sticks and you want guys whose eyes are up the ice and they're getting these, these passes up ice quickly. Uh, you don't necessarily need big hulking defensive players in that regard. But when you're playing Philadelphia, 
when you're playing Pittsburgh to a lesser degree at this point, when you're playing, you know, the Islanders, they're a heavy team as well. Uh, and you need to rely on a pair that could give you, even if they're only giving you 12 to 15 minutes for the night, they're giving you 12 or 15 of the hardest minutes in the night. And I, and I think there is something to be said for that. I think Ralph Kruger's even basically said, look, we're going to treat the taxi squad like that because you know, you know, aside from, you, you know, pretty much aside from your top six and Darlene, and maybe to a lesser extent Montour, uh, you know, how many of those, how many of the other guys are you expecting to play 56 games? And how many of those guys do you think are going to earn that 56 games from Ralph Kruger? Because you know as well as I do that, you know, he takes performance very, very seriously. And, you know, if you're not up to par, you're going to sit for a game or two unless your name is Eichel or Hall or maybe Reinhardt or, or Stahl. Other than that, you know, you could see yourself sitting and, and, and that's not even matchup based. So I could definitely see these guys getting a lot of work and, and, and trying to use the matchups to their advantage, especially because you're playing back to back nights. You know, if they come out against Washington and they find the lineup that they iced against the Capitals just didn't work for, for, for reason X, Y, and Z, they have a chance the very next night to rectify that with a new group of players. I think that's going to be a really interesting wrinkle to this year for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think the depth that we have is going to be so important just for those reasons. Um, and, and teams that lack that depth, I think it's going to really, over time, over the season, and if they make it to the playoffs, sure, the top-end teams with really good top six, they might do that. But I think over time, you'll see those teams that lack the serious depth, they're going to start slipping. They're going to get tired. It is a very rigorous schedule, Okay. And that's going to take a toll on teams. So I'm encouraged to see how our roster is shaking out. And, you know, we didn't even talk about guys like Casey Middlestat. Um, I mean, Roots Alinen, we talked about him a, a, a few times now. I, You know, he could probably play at the NHL level, and he's not even – he's not even – we didn't even talk about him at all today. So, I mean, we've got some serious depth on this team. And I'm excited. I think it will go a long way. And, man, we're only a few nights away, Craig. Can't believe it's Thursday night. We're going to have some Sabres hockey. I'm all a Twitter. You're all a Twitter? That's right. You heard me. I said it. (laughs) Okay. What does that even mean? Well, it depends how you want to take it. Uh, a, a Twitter is an old way of saying I'm excited. But if you uh, if you listen to the methodology with which I use the term, uh, it could have been taken as somewhat somewhat sarcastic. I but but it's up. It is it is to the ear of the listener to determine which way I meant it. I'm uh, I'm oh. I, what I am, John. I'll tell you what I am. I am. I'm hopeful. I'm excited just because there hasn't been hockey in how long? In what, 10 months, I guess it is, uh, for the Sabres anyway. And um, I'm always hopeful, and I'm optimistic that, you know, things will look better. Uh, but I'm, as any good Buffalo sports fan is, I'm always bracing for the thing that's going to want me make me put my head through my fireplace. So, you know, when that comes, I'll let you know. But for now, I'm cautiously optimistic through gritted teeth. Hence... A Twitter. All right. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. 
a Twitter. And no, not our social media, but you can find us on social media at bhcdotcom. That's at bhc.com. Spell it out, folks. And don't forget to check out our website, buffalohockeycentral.com. Let's go, Buffalo.